All right, welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo, Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson and writing teacher Jessica. We're online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our site in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and uh, on Instagram and Jess's Twitter handle as at jhomie89, which I did say hi to you. I, 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 <laughs> I saw you on Twitter. I was like, I don't really have a Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Maybe I'll add it here. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode wherever you, wherever you found this episode. Thank you. <laughs> that was, I'm sorry, Jess. I meant to respond to you. Uh, on today's episode, we'll be discussing um, Jessica's conference. She went to a conference, and we'll have a conversation about environmentalism. Uh, environmentalism. I would like for you to more present what you had in mind, just since you had mentioned it to us, and then we'll take it from there. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so I guess in case there's any like new listeners, uh, I'm a <laughs> professor of English in the in the higher ed system. Um, and so like one of the things that academics do is they like go to these conferences every so often and sometimes present at them or whatever. So it's something I've been doing for a long time. But um, the last time I went to like a major academic conference in person was pre-COVID. It was probably like early 2020. Um, Everything went online for a while. And then I was also uh, banned or rejected from several. Like I had been accepted but then they wanted proof of vaccination and all that bullshit um so this is the first time I was like actually attending an in-person like major conference this past week in a couple years um and I don't know like I don't know how interesting it is for people to hear sort of the insides of academia and I also don't know like how representative it is of like halls of power and sort of like the I don't know like national discourse or discourse of governments and institutions but um I mean they are I do think they wield I do think academia like wields power in a negative way usually uh certainly in this country anyway so yeah the the conference was um it's like the biggest sort of environmental humanities conference so it's all like climate change environmentally themed it's not like there's not a ton of like hardcore scientists I mean there were some um there's definitely people with scientific training there but it's more like people who are coming from uh like a rhetoric angle they're reading literature or they're talking about sort of like how to communicate climate science like this type of a thing um and yeah I just thought it was a it was an interesting experience obviously we've talked about environmentalism and related topics on on what's left in a bunch of different ways but so the the talk that I gave at this conference was called let me actually pull it up because I keep forgetting the title um, so I called it inclusive environmentalism approaching environmental pedagogy among conservative, countercultural and climate critical populations. So I was kind of trying, I mean, part of it was just alliteration, but I was kind of trying to like group several different uh, subsectors of student populations. And like a big part of my reflections in it was just talking about going from teaching environmental humanities classes at um, my old institution, which is, you know, Seattle, huge, like, green technology, like liberal hub, um, urban, obviously, uh, to this small, quite conservative town where, um, yeah, it's like a, a whiter, more working class population. And I was just kind of talking about like my pedagogical approach and experiences and like what I've learned and kind of how humbling it has been as well. And then I was really pushing back on just the way that academia, as I see it, upholds this whole idea of like inclusivity and diversity and like 
um, you know, platforming like minority voices and fighting for climate justice. And, you know, one of my kind of like arguments was that we're not really doing that when we either ignore or in some cases kind of villainize this massive sector of the working class, which includes many of my students who may be white and might be Republican, might be Christians. Um, I mean, I'm generalizing here. There's obviously lots of exceptions, but um, yeah, they're like, they're mostly working class people. Um, And a lot of them also come to these conversations with the assumption that their that their voices aren't welcome like before we even start a conversation like I think that's something I've maybe shared on here before but like when I first came to like my current institution like even just to get some of them to talk at all was just such a such a tall order um especially like white male rural students um because they just they have this like cultural perception for good reason I think um that like their voice is unwelcome um at best <laughs> you know sometimes it's like i said even villainized um but a lot of them like especially the ones that come from areas like this where there is a lot of there's a lot of agriculture um there's a lot of like land based ways of living like ways of making a living and so a lot of them actually you know maybe they grew up on a ranch or their parents um were in the logging industry or whatever it may be, but like they actually have a lot of times a really deep um, connection to land. It's just not, they don't come at it through the same framework and through the same types of rhetoric that the left or academia does. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of like what I was there to talk about, but I obviously, it was like a, I don't know, five day, yeah, five day conference, I think, or four day conference. Um, so like I went to a ton of different like workshops and talks and keynotes and stuff. So there were, there was some stuff that, you know, I maybe will bring up at some point in the conversation about like the rest of it, but maybe I'll just kind of pause there and see if you guys have thoughts or questions or you want to jump in. Mike, what, two questions for me. One is how did you make the connection of what you were bringing up with environmentalism as being one of the overall theme with this the issue you brought up well i was specifically talking about teaching environmental humanities classes mm-hmm. so classes mm-hmm. that already like have that theme um and just kind of reflecting on like the language that we use and um the assumptions that we come to the table with like as like climate educators was is probably how a lot of people at the conference would identify um so does that make sense? Like it, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then second, what was the response you received? Yeah. So I was on a, I was on a panel like with other climate educators. Um, and it's actually, we were, um, we were all, the reason that we did this panel is because we're all being published in this like collective book that's coming out early next year. Um, that's, it's called like the, existential toolkit for climate educators or climate justice educators or something like that so that's like the that was like the premise um so I was like I was really nervous about how I was going to be perceived by the crowd but I was also kind of nervous about these colleagues um who I do like really respect and you know it's cool like to get to know a couple of them like in person a little bit um since we're all being published in this collection so yeah the the response it was more positive than I expected. Um, like I don't usually get super nervous doing conference presentations because I've done so many of them, but I got, I got nervous. Like I was getting hot and I was like talking too fast probably. And part of it is I think, cause I just haven't done one in a while, but it was also like the content itself. Like I really kind of felt like I was being pretty critical. Um, a lot of people were very supportive and there were multiple educators who came up and like said to me afterwards like oh I actually really related to what you're saying because like I grew up in a small town or like I taught at this institution which has a lot of rural students and I like I actually really understand what you're saying and um like agree to a certain extent 
there were definitely like there was one question like in the Q&A which was like clearly I don't know my my colleague was like you got hardballed <laughs> um but it was exactly kind of what you maybe would expect of like the person basically asked um like where I draw the line in terms of because uh, I was talking about like how like we need to allow for everybody's voice to enter the classroom, right? Um, including conservative voices and c- include maybe even people who don't believe that climate change is real, right? Like those people should still be able to, to be a part of the conversation. And he was basically asking if, um, if there's a line that I draw uh, in terms of like platforming extremist right ideologies because he he was like well i um like i i do think that certain right-wing ideas like are dangerous that's that's his words um so yeah just kind of like the the pushback of like um, i don't know like ideas being dangerous and um i mean it's an interesting concept to think about too like in terms of the classroom setting of like like obviously the idea of like platforming people online, like, you know, if we have a guest on our show, like we're platforming them, right? Like that's the language that's used. If I retweet somebody, I guess I'm like platforming that voice, but it's, I, I've never really used that language when I'm thinking about constructing a class. Like I see the parallel of like, okay, I, I have to construct a reading list and I have 10 weeks or maybe a semester at other institutions to, you know, include a certain amount of content and obviously like it is a political choice of like what content I do and do not include um so I'm not saying that it's like objective at all but I guess I've just I've never really thought about it in those terms of like I am platforming whatever content and whoever's voices I choose to like ask my students to read or um I don't know like and I I brought I actually brought up Sacker Pass like as an example of I mean it's not like a text but you know just the idea of like bringing up this example that doesn't really fit into the binary right like because we talked about with Max like there's all these different like stakeholders you know there's sort of um, conservative ranchers there's indigenous tribes there's lefty hippie environmentalists right um the extraction itself right is like for these green technology so it it doesn't fit right into this like binary um left versus right however you want to term it um so uh, people people were interested in that too like it was um I was glad I, I brought that up like as a as an example um so yeah it was it was mixed it was more positive than I had expected though um okay so question from me is first off how many other panelists are on that on that panel mm-hmm. Four, yeah, four. And you, how long did you speak? Like fifteen minutes. It was okay. so short. And then, um, like a Q and A. It was like ninety. How, how many people are in the audience? Um, I don't think there was fifty people there. It was probably like thirty or forty. Okay, I could be. Idea. I could be way off. <laughs> it could be like ten or it could be like a hundred. I don't know. It it was like honestly a pretty sizable. Like compared to other um, yeah. panels that I've been to at other conferences, because um, they they kind of range. Like some workshops, it'll be like ten people, and then like the keynote was like hundreds and hundreds of people in the room. So right. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like you said? First question I guess I have for you is: Do you feel like you said the thing, your argument, the way you wanted to say it, or do you feel like you pulled it back? Um, you know, because you were nervous. Um, I didn't pull it back. I mean, I did pull it back in a sense of time. Like there's only, there's yeah. a very minimal amount you can say in 15 minutes, but no, I didn't like pull my punches. Um, that said, like, I, like, I don't really see what's to gain by like going to a context like that and just like railing on everybody in the room. Like that's not, that wasn't, that's not how I feel. And that's not, it was not my intention. So like, I am very intentional with like the language that I use. And because I've been in academia for so long and I'm, I mean, this is what I'm trained in is, is language, English, like know your audience. Like I know how to frame 
a conversation, I think usually, <laughs> um, in a way that like, it's, yes, it's, it was definitely received as like pushback and criticism, but I don't think anybody, I hope people didn't think like, wow, like she's just here to be an asshole, <laughs> you know, right. cause that's not productive, but yeah, I, I would say I said it. And well, I guess, um, did, did anybody ask you what, I guess no one asked you whether or not what your beliefs were with, in relationship to climate change and whether men made CO2 is producing a climate change or anything like that. No, but it's, I mean, the assumptions that people make are really interesting too, because like no one would ever guess. I mean, unless I said that, but I mean, that wasn't like, you know, what part of like my argument. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the idea that like there would be somebody at that conference who like has questions about that, like very few people would even like think of that. And it's it's the same with like a lot of different, I mean, it was the same with like COVID stuff, you know, like you guys have had that experience, I'm sure of like people start talking to you and just like they assume that you're like with them on, <laughs> on their beliefs. I mean, that's just, I guess, maybe a human thing in general, but um but yeah, that is like, I mean, that there's not even like room for that debate. Yeah. In a place like that. And I guess the last question is, how did you respond or did, were you asked to respond directly to the person about platform or not kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I kind of just said sort of what I just said, which, which was that, um, I, I don't believe that. And I, I think I've said this on here before, like I literally have a line in my syllabus that talks about um how reading something is not an endorsement of it studying something discussing something is not an endorsement of those ideas right it just seems obvious but um so yeah and I, I talked a little bit like about my approach to um like setting up a classroom environment where the expectation is that people are going to disagree and there might be like ideas that some people find uh dis disagreeable or even offensive um, and like having that conversation before we dive into the content about like, how are we going to handle that? And is that like, a, is that, you know, what's, what are the parameters for this discussion? I mean, this is just like, you know, teaching pedagogy shit. Um, but I think it's really important because it like one of the distinctions that I think I made in my answer, um, and I felt like I could have done a whole presentation just on that, like one question. Um, but I was glad he asked it, even though like people kind of perceived it as like a hardball. And I think he, he even said like, um, like, I'm not trying to like, yeah. I'm not trying to present this as like a gotcha. And I'm like, no, I don't take it as a gotcha. Like, I'm glad you asked the question. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I just don't, I don't think, uh, a, a decent classroom environment is like the same as Twitter. <laughs> Like Twitter people are there like to argue, to like get into these like divisive, sometimes rather pointless conversations. But like in a classroom environment, I think if you set it up well, obviously like you never know. Like, you know, you might have like kind of a wild card student who's like wanting to sort of stir up trouble in an unproductive way. Like, but it's pretty rare. Like most people are there to and they're interested and they're usually quite in, they're more interested in each other's opinions and experiences than they are in like whatever I have to say or like whatever the text says. So like part of what I think is so productive about like actually trying to create an inclusive classroom is like, well, what happens when the rural Idaho cowboy conservative has a conversation with, you know, the um, exchange student from the Marshall Islands who you know, is from a small island nation um, that's being, you know, supposedly directly affected by sea level rise, right, in a much more, like, frontline way. Um, and, like, I, I, I've never had those two people, like, angry at each other. I mean, they might, like, have disagreements and they might, like, kind of walk away like, man, that guy's, that guy's full of shit or whatever. But, like, it's not, it's not Twitter, right? Like, so that's, what, I mean, that was kind of also part of, like, the talk was, like, very much from a, like, a pedagogical angle, mm -hmm. because it was mostly, like, different types of educators in the room. In a sense, when you start that discussion, you are not 
you are not invested in a particular outcome conclusion that could come out of it other than the idea that you know we can exchange ideas here and um and maybe be altered by that yeah 100 percent. i mean obviously like and i said this in my presentation but like obviously like it's impossible to actually leave your entire politics at the door like if that's if that's what you're trying to do as an educator i think you're kind of doomed to fail um so i don't like pretend to be objective i don't pretend that like i think some texts are worth reading more than others like and call it, you can call it platforming if you want um but yeah like i i'm very cognizant in the way that i like address classes and it's it's part partly probably why i get away with a fair amount like and i'm able to to sort of fly under the radar because i have never like walked into a classroom and like presented my political opinions or like who i voted or didn't vote for or like what i think like they should believe like i i don't know i wouldn't want that teacher <laughs> that's not how i try to teach like i want people to learn how to write and how to have a conversation and um become more self-aware and like their the way that they use language right especially in like an english class um and yeah i'm not it's not like my agenda to change people's beliefs in that context i don't know if like i'm curious kind of like because both of you are educators or have been educators like i'm curious how it kind of compares to your teaching pedagogical philosophy edward do you want to go first I mean, my experience has always been in elementary. I think we're talking about areas that are more, maybe you've always, you've taught high school, Andy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, for sure, this has come up when I was in high school at Mission High School. Um, there were, there were teachers who, in the name of inclusivity, would basically say, no oppressive language is allowed here, you know, um, and that was inclusive to create a safe space for people who they were saying were in oppressed groups. And I, and I would say though they, there are oppressed groups and they might've pro properly identified them as such, but I have never, I have don't agree with that approach. Like, um, and I certainly had heard students who would say, if you, if you go into that teacher's classroom, you have to know what you have to say in order to get a good grade. You have to know what you have to write in order to get, uh, the right, you know, good grade on your paper, things like that. Um, and people felt very coerced. Um, they were, there were also people who those teachers would be popular to, but I don't agree with that approach. Um, I mean, I have, I've always had, I've had strong political opinions when, from the jump in, in my, in my, um, when I started teaching, um, I was a socialist when I started and I was socialist when I ended. Um, and I was more convinced of the new revolution by the time I was done with it, you know, education there at mission, but well, number one, I never thought it was, I never thought my role was to organize students. I always felt it was more to organize adults. That's, that was my kind of bias. But secondly, I, I don't agree. I did. I don't agree with the idea that the, that my job is to sort of, uh, educate who's right and who's wrong or who can say what. and. I don't want to put my th my thumb on the on the scale when when conversations like that happen. Um, I certainly will ask a student who's talked too many times to stop to stop intervening because there's other students who have to talk. But that's about as much as I'll probably step in um, as a, as a teacher because I do feel like students need to be able to hear each other. Um, and I don't think it's just true in a classroom. I actually think it's in true it's true in, in within the working class. I mean, the very thing that started what's left is an, an environment on the left that we felt was toxic that basically said certain viewpoints can't be brought forward um and you know you you couldn't talk about certain conspiracies you you couldn't talk about you couldn't question the idea of man-made climate change um there are things you, you know and uh i i bet i imagine a person would have had problems if you said i'm not comfortable with a with trans a, a man trans fighter fighting in the ring you know when it's a person who's transitioned to female and you know 
there are things you can't say you que you question those things, you know, without being called either a transphobe or a racist or something like that, you know. Um, and so that very problem that's in the classroom is is the same one that I, I do believe exists in 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 the working class. Well, it's not a movement, but within that within within the environment that we're trying to organize in, or at least it has on the left. So. Um, how would any, how would you answer that question about like, do you have a line? Cause like, um, I guess like in terms of like creating a safe space and stuff, like I always just sort of applied that to like, like name calling. So like, for example, if someone drops like the N bomb or something, um, in a class, like what would you do? I've I never mean, had yeah, I would, I would have to call that out and be like, you know, look, you can't, you can't say that kind of stuff. You know, like you mean, you're, you're saying it in a, in a real way, like saying some sort of mean word, you know, that's racist or homophobic or something like that. I would insert myself at that point, but that's because something's about to escalate into a potential fight at that point, potentially, you know, um, it has gotten tricky though, because like, yeah, like I was trying to think about like how I would react in that situation. But then, like, you know, not like not respecting somebody's pronouns is now kind of deemed like on that level of like homophobia yeah. or racism, right? And it's like, yeah. ooh, the line between like, I don't know, like ideology and I guess like compelled speech or whatever, like it's kind of kind of sticky <laughs> now. I can only say that the prop the problem I've seen is not the problem of somebody not inserting themselves. I feel like the problem has been people inserting themselves. Um, and the reality, and, and I do feel like we have to look at the institutions now, whether they be Google or uh, the state has come in and weaponized that and used it to censor. And so like we, we actually have to be a freedom movement and, and, and that is going to mean some messiness. Um, and it's one thing in the classroom, it's even more necessary if we're talking about a movement and that's where it's like, we have to now then say, well, what are we talking about? Like most of these teachers are actually thinking of the classroom as their organizing space. Uh, that's a question of in of itself, but I'll just say, I would say my, my line is by and large, people should need people who are trying to organize to change the world need to be free to talk about anything they need to talk about. Um, I think for me, it's <clears throat> when you say draw a line, just, I think of, I think there are like three categories of people right there. I, th I think of people who say things out of ignorance. Um, I know in Spanish, for example, the country of the Indian folk from India, they're in Spanish, they're called normally by someone who's uneducated who doesn't who's never traveled who's just been from latin america who doesn't have the experience of going anywhere else but their own country they'll say hindus instead of saying indians from and that to some indians is offensive because not everyone in india they're not a religion they are of a, a national of national an ethnic background and that is not an ethnic background they say hindus and so i think stuff like that when you see people for me this is when i when i see people being um, when I see people being um, ignorant of something, I don't think they're trying to do something that is intentional and racist or or trying to be offensive. So if someone says, and I've seen this with like trans, if someone doesn't say your proper nouns or whatever, and we'll get to like whether that in the space, if it's a safe space or not. But if I, I, th I think I've seen people in the social justice warrior Space where they just aggressively here and correct there and try to fight and it's not an inviting space for people to learn and to be of understanding of what it's you know if they're saying some the n-word or whatever if that's how they grew up if they still I doubt now I think everybody's aware that the n-word is a pretty strong word but if someone was to say something like that you know the other thing I would say is if if someone clearly is saying intentionally then I would shut it down not because I think it's politically incorrect, because I think people are just being an asshole. And the space is not that I would want to create in any place is, is to be respectful of one another, regardless of where you are from or what you believe in or whatever. 
And so if people are being assholes, and that's to me a sign of you're just doing it to instigate or to be spiteful or whatever. It's you're not out of ignorance here. I think you're just saying things to really stir up something or provoke something. And it's hard because you most of the time it's we just say no hate, safe space. But some people might say things without wanting to say things in a disrespectful way. And I don't think that that's wrong. I think people should be allowed to say things. I know when before, when I way, when I, I remember in my early 20s, I used to correct people's language a lot. Um, not so much pronouns. It wasn't pronouns. I, I didn't have any, I didn't delve into that so much. It was more of the way that we people would talk about other race or the way that people would talk about uh, um, just any topics in general, political things. And it was annoying for my family members. But I see that sometimes the way that they would hinder themselves, they would not move forward and not be able to have a conversation with me because it was constant impediment. impediment, impediment. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me that that's the issue is that these spaces or the institutions might not create a place that feels safe for people who are not informed whatever. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, just speaking of this, the safe space thing, like, so I go into this conference on day one and, you know, you got to go to like the registration table and like pick up your fucking lanyard and whatever. And like the first thing they do is like hand you like this sticker thing with like 27 different pronouns on it. <laughs> like, like ones I've never even heard of. I'm like, no, thank you. And like the first time I went to go use the bathroom in the convention center, a man walked out. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't a safe space. Um, so just, I mean, not surprising um given the this was in portland i don't think i said but um obviously like a very uh you know kind of liberal culturally liberal place just in general in terms of like the venue and then of course it being an academic conference but yeah it's getting yeah but i think as as we're having this conversation which is not really where i expected this conversation to go but i do think it's it's something that that actually is worth that just got me thinking more if i if i think about what what i believe and it's sort of come up for workers and students for choice on our online space where people get upset with each other and somebody says i want off and things like that and people are always asking for a moderator and first of all i'm not that i don't really care about the online space so i wouldn't really my reasons for not moderating it are partly related to that but i also think even for spaces that I do care about, which are in-person spaces, um, my tendency is to think we're going to have to figure it out together. And everyone, not everyone, people often are thinking there's some rule or there's somebody from the outside with an authority that's going to educate and then decide for us all. I don't think that's going to work. Like, I don't think that's going to work to create the world we want. And so I just think people are going to have to get used to the idea that we will collectively have to figure out. And if we get together and piss each other off, well, good luck with that. You know, good luck trying to fight for what you want. Um, but that that experience is not one that you can that you can say, oh, we need we need a good facilitator. Like uh, Brandy told me that I facilitated the last meeting well. I don't think the movement needs good facilitators. I think the movement needs people with more experience collectively trying to figure out how to communicate together. And that's why I do think that as an instructor, what you are doing, if getting people to understand that almost anything you say is fair fair game here, I feel like that's the better environment to be creating so that people get that experience. But at the end of the day, that experience is only useful if if it's used for, for people getting together to change something about the way the world is, you know, not just to experience as a, as an intellectual exercise. Um, I know you're not just doing it for that, but I'm just saying that's those are the things that come to my mind right now. Well, and I I actually don't think I believe this. <laughs> I I am I'm not sure that it is possible to create that kind of environment online, like fully. Um, or uh, let me put it this way: like it's obviously just highlighting how important it is to have like in-person classes and to have in-person organizing meetings, right? Because it is, there is so much less need for a moderator 
when people are in dialogue. And that's why like, I almost like don't even really like the sort of like, I mean, it is a little bit of a gotcha of like, well, like what about like the worst case scenario? Like some just total asshole student, which like, okay, like, yes, yeah, like if you're a teacher, you should probably like think about what you're going to do and how you're going to handle that situation just in case. But the majority of people like are, are good, are good in their intentions. Like they're in school and just in, in general, like in society, it's, I don't know, the way people treat people online is just so much worse right than it is in person and so to me it's like just like reason number 950 of like why we need to be gathering in person in like every single context well i think we have two problems i mean i agree with you that online ultimately it can't be done but then then the problem is it can't be done online and that creates it tends to emphasize this conflict but then in person everything goes, everything actually becomes like, everyone becomes worried about what to say. And that's, that's a, that's a second problem that we have. So that problem is no, no worse or no better than people just screaming at each other online. Because if we act like we all agree, but we don't really agree in person, but we, but we're afraid to say what we really think, we're just as screwed there as, as we are in the other situation. So we might have, we might as well never have met. Because if we're just going to sit here and affirm some common denominator position that we all actually don't even agree with, but that's what we're willing to say, then we then we that that's a huge problem for for doing anything. Yeah, and that I mean that was like probably the main reason, like why I felt like it was worth giving a whole talk yeah. like on this subject is because, I mean, of course, I can walk in my class and say like everyone's free to share, to share their opinion and all ideas are welcome here and please be respectful to each other. But like that doesn't actually gain enough trust from majority of students in my experience. Like it, you have to do a little bit more than that in order to actually make people like basically in my opinion, like gain enough trust from your students that you're not just saying that, like you actually mean it and you're actually you know, collectively able to kind of hold space in the group for people to truly share their opinions. Um, which and I'm not saying I've like mastered that, but I, don't know, I think and, I at least try. And I do think I've certainly heard people say you all been critical of inclusivity language because, oh, it's inclusivity of race, inclusive of sexual orientation, inclusive of genders, but not inclusive of political ideas. I've certainly heard that critique, and I think, I think it's good that you've you're that you tried to open up the idea that inclusivity actually should first and foremost mean ideas. Yeah, and class too. Like that was the other. Like I wish I would have had way more time to talk, but um, the like theme for the conference this year was reclaiming the commons, which is really interesting. Um, just because I think about like class politics and class dynamics like as soon as I hear the word commons um but there's often just so little emphasis on that like it's just in academia it's just like race 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 gender gender it's like whoa <laughs> what happened to the working class right yeah. um especially when it comes to, like climate you know e even under like the sort of mainstream climate science lens like the poor <laughs> like that's who's on the front lines, right? Like, and that includes, yeah, multiple different races and genders and all that. But that is just, to me, like, it's just still shocking that that's not our primary framework. I mean, I, I think I was listening and I'm, I, I, I'm not sure, maybe I have to delve more and ask you more questions, Andy, but I may disagree with you, Andy, because in a group I have seen, having worked in different groups, uh, I think people bring to the table different skills and some people just do not even engage or they just wait or they've been trained or conditioned to expect someone else. And so I don't want that either, but I, but I think that when you get people together and you ask people, what can we agree on? And you make a whole session about that and then you switch off, you can take turns moderating or facilitating then I think then we're taking, everyone has to have 
a stake in it. So I'm not going to, I don't like the idea of, of one person just represent, just every time representing that group. Um, but I, I love the idea of people taking turns to represent the entire group and moderate it according to what we've all agreed to. Everyone's agreed to something and hash out what those agreements are first and evolutionize over time, like, you know, what those agreements are. So, uh, otherwise to me there, there doesn't, then it's like, we don't get any, this is what I saw in Occupy sometimes in certain, uh, working groups that I was in, they didn't have any agreements. There wasn't anybody moderating, but then there wasn't any cohesion. We didn't go anywhere. We just, I remember being in assemblies. I remember I had to walk out hours and hours long of just discussion over a particular thing that someone disagreed with. And sometimes for me, that was like, well, we should just agree to disagree on some issues, but because we're not going to convince everybody, we are such a large assembly here, you know? So, uh, Anyway, there were a lot of those discussions, which I thought was very informative and educational for me to see how you can work within a diverse range of thought. And in the current space where I'm at, uh, and with Latino being the different demographics, I know my my community, there is, I, 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 I try to be as aware, like for example, LGBT issues come up a lot. And uh, one particular teacher, wants to create a club, an LGBT club, a, a, a light, straight gay alliance club. And they want to they want to expose the kids to sex ed and, and talk about how do you identify yourself and all these things. And it's like, these things are out of consideration with families. And then I will have discussions with the teacher and the teacher will say, well, uh, it's up to us to educate the new generation and to bring them up and to make sure that they teach their parents and they're old school. I have no hope in these families. This is the kind of conversation they're telling me. And then I'm I'm like, well, yes, we can. Our kids will always learn new things. And yes, sometimes we'll be more informed about new generations. We'll be more, like I think about that around violence, for example. I'm not going to do the same things my parents did around violence and and expose my my nephew or my or, or kids around my life to violent communication or acts. Sure, I like you learn from the past, mistakes from the past. But as far as some topics, I think we need to be all of this in together, you know, and and they're going to say things that are not politically correct. You know, they don't feel comfortable with homosexuality in the classroom or the discussions of of how do you identify kind of discussions and and what does it mean for some kid to have two mothers and do we talk about that? You know, this is this is why I I open it up as a forum, but I've also discussed these with my, my like I see them as my colleagues, these parents, to understand. Let's stick to certain, let's stick to certain uh, agreements that we can have, and not that I made them up. We made them up collectively, and they share things in a very religious way. But I'm open to that space, and I'm not heterosexual myself. You know, so I, I, I listen profoundly and other teachers can't, they, it, it, it becomes difficult for them. And all they see is we need to save their children kind of approach the way, you know, <laughs> and it's awful, you know, anyway, I think I built into too much here and I, um, so maybe that's where I'm not sure if we defer Andy, but that's my, those are my thoughts. You, I'm not sure what you're saying. Do you think I would agree with that teacher who says we got to teach? No, 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 no. We defer on the moderator thing where you said that there's no moderator. You don't. I would just say that I, I don't think a moderator is going to get us there. You can have a moderator, but I think we are going to get there by virtue. It's not, we're, it's not like we're missing a bunch of good moderators. It's people's experience of actually talking with each other honestly that we're missing. Now, moderators are necessary at times. At other times, they're not. But I often think people think that there's somebody above the discussion that's going to make this thing happen or above the collective. And it's not. It's the collective experience that we are missing. And, and, and we're missing it if we go online. And we're also missing it if we come together and are dishonest with each other 
And I would say that people tend to be dishonest with each other because you, as you have had that experience, I've had that experience of 15 people agreeing to something, but only then three people show up. And that means 12 people didn't agree. Maybe you could say two people had something come up, but most of the time, and that's fine. That's what it is. And that's, that's our, we're going to have, people are going to have to learn how to say, you know what? Y'all are going with that idea, but I don't agree with it. And that's, and it's better to have that out than just have the people say, I agree. And then not show up. That's, that's, that's been a lot of my, my movement experience is people not really speaking honestly about what they really think. And that is something we will only be able to get through collectively. It's not a, it's not about training a bunch of moderators and having great facilitators in all our meetings. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, there's there's multiple reasons, right, like why somebody might not show up. One, like they don't agree, like they whether they said it or not, they fundamentally don't agree. But there's also just like the person who just like it isn't enough of a priority, like they might agree, but either like it's it's not affecting them directly or it's not. They don't see it like in a serious enough light like comparatively to whatever they're spending their day doing i mean people have limited time and energy like that's that's understandable but like what one thing that i was kind of i don't know like i obviously am kind of jaded even before like covid and the last couple of years like i was on the more like skeptical end when it like i used to hate going to conferences just like too many academics in one building it's just like over over stimulating um and I was often like really critical but the past couple years have made me extremely extremely like you know maybe in my less um patient moments like downright hostile (laughs) to the institution um understandably I mean you like you have a paper accepted to a conference and then they tell you you can't come to present your paper on inclusive environmentalism because you're not vaccinated or whatever it may be you won't wear a mask um but i i will say like i was pleasantly surprised by some of the content of stuff that i attended um and i mean just as like a couple examples like one of the uh main keynotes like the primary content that she focused on was deep sea mining uh and like mineral extraction um which i was not really expecting to hear um there was a panel on militarism and like eco-fascism um which like that's always been one of my massive problems with these environmental conferences it's like nobody's talking about war I mean, it's just just absurd to like have conversations about carbon emissions and oil and all this stuff and not talk about war. Um, And there was actually a panel on that. Um, And there were, you know, there were a couple other examples, like even geoengineering was actually mentioned by one, one, very briefly, like in passing. But um, I was like, did he just say geoengineering? Um, So like there, there were moments where I was like, man, like these people are not stupid like they 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 get at least aspects of it like they get it um and I just like was asking myself well so then what is it like why don't they like show up like when push actually comes to shove like is it just a disconnection but like I mean I think the past couple years like with the unions and all the lockdowns and like all of this like we've talked about it so many times of like like, where were the teachers? They were not, like, on the side of the working class. They were not on the side of, you know, healthy, ecological state of being, like, in the world. Um, so I was just kind of, yeah, like, just kind of related to that question of, like, I don't know, like, are a lot of these people, are they just saying that this stuff is important to them and in the case of a conference like studying it and like building whole careers on like teaching environmental justice or writing books or like presenting or whatever it may be you know um 
so much, so much talk of like indigenous communities and indigenous knowledge and how sacred it is and how those people should be centered. But then like, I don't know, maybe it was just the panels I attended, but like, I didn't see very many like actual indigenous voices actually being centered. (laughs) Like I heard a lot of land acknowledgements and a lot of like, that's who we should listen to. And even like an acknowledgement, there was one guy who I think it was on the eco-fascism panel um, who like, it was sort of a brief moment, but it was really, I loved the way that he described like the distinction between science, like Western science and indigenous, not indigenous knowledge, because what he basically, what he said was that like science as we like use it in the Western world, it has this like fake pretense of objectivity uh, and so it basically like denies any like relation or sort of like positionality and then like co- in contrast to indigenous knowledge um which like totally doesn't pretend to not have values like the whole the whole point is that there are these fundamental values underpinning you know the way that you govern societies and the way that you organize yourselves right like it's all about relation like to the earth to each other to the ancestors right it's all about positionality and so there are just like these moments of hope but then I was just at the same time thinking like if these people knew I wasn't vaccinated they'd probably like want me booted out the door and may even like take action to try to make that happen um maybe not all of them I don't know but it's just like I don't know it was a weird well I don't think of those conferences as organizing places I mean, oh, they're not. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do. And I, yeah. I mean, I, my impression of conferences, and this was true in the science field. I think it's true in the educational field. In many ways, they're they're climbing experiences, like to meet people to see if you can be, you know, who you can meet, who you can network with, and who you can build your career off of. So, um, I I am. It is. I mean, I guess I somewhat good that you heard some good things. I just don't. I think um, that's not what I was talking about in terms of the people who wouldn't show up. I am talking more about, you know, just organizing here or with people who say, and I do believe they are concerned about the thing that they are showing up about. It's just that they don't have necessarily the courage to say that idea you all are agreeing to that. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't, it doesn't make me want to do it. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to stop y'all from doing it. Now that's what would actually need to be said, but people don't, unfortunately it's just we we just need people are just afraid to speak honestly that's just the reality that's the reality and unless we overcome that we're going to not really be truthful with each other and then we're not going to really organize well together yeah Uh, but i do think there's a i get what you're saying and totally i do not expect people to be organizing (laughs) conferences but i i do think there's a parallel in the sense of like it should be easier in an intellectual environment or like a classroom space for people to share their ideas because like the whole point is like we're there just to talk about ideas and then like we walk out and we like go live our lives but there is like a little bit of a separation and like a hypotheticalness to it um and I think it just I mean it just underscores your point that like people can't even do it in like that hypothetical like intellectual curiosity sort of space so like of course they're not gonna be able to do it when it's like actually something's on the line and it's you know an organizing context i mean eduardo we need to speak but i actually think it's harder to say it in the intellectual space because everyone knows the knives are out and who's gonna like those spaces are actually more you've got to say exactly the right thing in order to get the right access so honestly i actually think it's easier to say it in the organizing in the organizing space and to speak bluntly than it is when something's on the line than in this other place where it's actually theater that's that's my feeling at least but what i guess what jesse well what i'm understanding is ideally according to academia in written form and everything is supposedly or at least traditionally since even the most revered secretaries and aristotle days of discussing these things in circles where there are institutions meant for this, this is the ideal that you should have that space to be able to talk about these ideas. Uh, uh, That's what that was 
for, right? A discussion of ideas. Obviously, today it has been overrun by intellectuals who want to uh, gatekeep and want to. Um, so I understand what you're saying, Andy. And it is not these are when you say theater. I'm I, I I understand, but as a tradition, and I even that's why I've always admired academic spaces. But obviously, I know that I'm not stupid, and I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. There's no there aren't censorship, there isn't censorship, but as a tradition, like science, like, uh, what's her name? I forget the one that we put on the science episode, Andy, regarding, um, the discussion of ideas and science and a place, the woman that we oh, went into. Lynn Margolis? Yes. Where you ideally have a place to challenge thoughts and ideas and to bring that up, even if it is maybe provocative, so to speak. So I guess that's what I understand. Um, no. And as far as environmentalism, my my issue around, and we have deep disagreements here, I maybe, not maybe as deep, <laughs> but I I I uh I don't know if CO2, carbon dioxide, is a leading factor for uh uh one of the leading factors or environmental to, to contribution to the environmental crisis that we have but i see it as one of many things that we are doing uh in as human um harmful human activities that we're doing to the environment which is also uh pesticide and herbicide runoffs and overfishing and leaving nets out in the water right for trapping whales and drowning them and the oil that we use and I mean, the overconsumption and the plastics and all that, I see everything a part of the crisis that we have in, and I'm not just sticking to just, um, I got today, maybe because of lack of sleep, I'm forgetting everyone's name. What was the counter runner to George W. Bush, Al Gore. And so I'm not, I'm not in the Al Gore camp where I just discuss CO2 and that's the global warming, uh, discussion where it's just about what we need to do as humans to uh stop co2 emissions but rather everything that i've mentioned and more that i'm not mentioning at this moment because i'm not going to bring up the entire list well you know i could talk about you know fluoridating water whatever and etc and i think for me the that i appreciate just what you're sharing is that we need to have everybody has a stake in this whether you are rural or whether you are uh, a person of the Southern Hemisphere. And as class is normally not discussed, more gender and race is discussed, the missing discussion is class, and we should have more of that discussion. I have differences with both of you. Like I, I do believe, as Max Wilbert said, regarding overpopulation. I mean, if we kind of spread out evenly maybe i wouldn't have that but we're not spread out evenly from my vantage point and if we distributed resources in a fair manner i wouldn't be so worried about this but we're not doing that currently and i'm not obviously a eugenics person i'm clearly <laughs> as according to my ancestry 70 percent indigenous and spanish and french and one percent scottish so i'm clearly uh not in part of the eugenics movement as a person of color. <laughs> but I do think that we're overpopulating. Um, and not to say that people of color can't be part of the eugenics movement, because I saw your face there, Andy, for <laughs> listeners. Uh, but I'm saying the people who know me on what's left know that I'm not a part of that movement. So I'm speaking specifically to myself. And so, um, but I, I, I believe that that people shouldn't, you know, who decides what population has more children, who doesn't. I'm not, that's where, that's where I, I defer. And I'm afraid because I'm never going to have an agreement in there, uh, such as a China policy and what we should do about overpopulation. That doesn't take away the fact that I believe we're overpopulating the earth. How and what we do about it. And there's my disagreement where I want to be super clear for Mr. Dr. Andrew Lips right there with his face. And so I, I, I I appreciate these discussions on environmentalism, and I think we're an example of what the different 
thoughts or ideas around it is, and we can work together around that, you know? I would just come back to Lear Keith on that issue. Like, I, I do think we disagree, Eduardo, probably all of us <laughs> a little bit, but I think we probably <laughs> all agree with like her. I mean, she is a total like antinatalist um, and I don't agree with that part, but she always just comes back <laughs> to the stats on like reading and literacy, especially of young girls. And like, it's just a fact, like if you teach young girls to read, mm-hmm. they have less children. Like that's just, that is just what the stats show. Mm-hmm. And so at the very least, like let's, let's be doing that globally um, instead of like, you know, trafficking. No, I agree with that. Leaving the global South. Yeah. What was it? There's an expression out there. I think it's a very common when I hear in educational education circles, you teach a boy to read, you've taught a child to read and you teach a girl to read. You've I, something I forget, whatever. I, I don't want to make up stuff, but you know, like if you, women if they're educated they are then um yeah i mean don't get me wrong the boy should get to read too but (laughs) (laughs) oh that was that reminds me too another aspect of this whole conference experience so i walk in the registration um, place and they give me the pronoun labels and all this other crap but what they did not give me was a program um everything was qr code app mm. online um and i don't know if that was like an environmental choice or if it was just like we're on the tails of the past two years so like we're just doing everything online or if it was just like supposedly an accessibility thing but it was just like oh of course like everything's on there and if it is like i'm sure part of their argument is like accessibility um you know, probably carbon emissions <laughs> and saving paper too, but um, it made it extremely inaccessible in my opinion, because it was extremely hard to figure out like what to go to, when it was happening, where it was happening. The internet was terrible at the venue. And so people are trying to like on their smartphones and like, I do use a smartphone now, but for two years I wasn't. And so I was thinking, God, like if I had come to this a year ago, I literally wouldn't be able to go anywhere or do anything without like having to ask someone. So it's like the opposite of accessible and just feeds into all of this 4IR bullshit. Yeah. And uh, that's where all this stuff is leading. I mean, that's, that's where everyone, that's the agreement that everyone has. That's that people share without acknowledging that this is what we're all agreeing to. Yeah. I found the expression, by the way, I didn't want to say just it's if you teach a boy, you educate an, an individual. But if you teach a girl, you educate a community. Hmm. Who said that? <laughs> it's, I, mean, I don't know. It's just something I've always heard in education circles. Someone who is listening or viewing this episode, write down in the comments. You can disagree with it. I've just heard it a lot in education circles, the importance. And the statistics do show that if you teach girls, there's a lot of prevention in in um uh early pregnancies mm-hmm. so, anyhow anyhow look at andy over there squirming uh, <laughs> that's just I- opening a whole new can of worms and i'll we'll keep the worms in the can <laughs> for now yeah back to the topic uh let's see i um, hope it was like semi-interesting for people like i that's, <laughs> it's not so much like like the academia stuff that like i wanted to highlight but i just think it relates to so much like of the discourse and like yep. how people communicate and yeah. Well, Last question, Jess, did you hear whispers or the sentiment? Was there anything around why we should vote for a Democrat because they will be better for the environment sort of conversation? Was it, did you feel that? I didn't hear. I mean, I obviously like I wasn't in like the majority. Right. Yeah. But um, I didn't hear anybody like sort of actively like campaigning but I did hear like a fair amount of almost sort of like an undertone of like bashing the right of like a lot of references to like, you know, well, like two, 2016, you know, which like that was like a terrible time. Mm. Assuming that everybody in the room was like, mm. agreement that that was a terrible time or um, definitely like critiquing the right. Lots of um, buzzwords like, um, what do they call it? Um, 
I don't know, like with the like the eco eco fascism, it's like a right wing thing, I think, in a lot of people's minds, like in this space, mm-hmm. um, which it's like, no, the left has plenty eco fascists too. Um, so yeah, it's it's more like bashing of the right rather than like campaigning on behalf of the left in terms of like actual voting and politicians and stuff. Mm. But I don't know. Fast forward a year and that might be different but yeah i don't my my impression is you it's like we don't have to talk about whether we agree on that human-made climate change is happening because we all agree on that we don't have to agree agree that we're going to vote for biden because we all agree like there's a lot of things that are just assumed yeah it's just like the assumption of like oh well yeah he sucks but you probably voted for him right like obviously you did yeah yeah so i mean that that's that's again that's that it's an environment that's not really free to speak free. You know, we're not free to speak freely in such such an environment. All right. Thank you, Jess, for reporting back to us. Yeah, thank you, Jess. Uh, I, I, uh, I haven't been to a conference like that. I've been to other conferences. It's so overstimulating. It's just like doors <laughs> <laughs> and just like too much information. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you guys listening because sometimes it's nice like come back and debrief with like people who at least semi share your values because you can't really <laughs> there. like oh y'all are crazy <laughs> alright well let's conclude that does it for this week's episode what's left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left to post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us I remind folks if you like anything you anything I've heard here please subscribe rate, review turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast Teacher, Google Play BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble or Telegram and you can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes wherever you are from this episode. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or such as something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca, co-host Jessica and Andy Lipson. We'll have our social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram and just Twitter handle as at jhomini89. Thank you all for listening. Ciao.